Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. JobKeeper, JobKeeper, JobKeeper. We've got a whole range of media coverage today on JobKeeper and some of it appears to be not quite understanding what actually has happened. Let's just recap. The uh, the Treasury and the ATO announced uh, yesterday that there was an overestimate in the forecast for how many people were going to be uh, served well by the JobKeeper payments. Underlying underlying that discussion, there's also been a discussion about whether businesses knew what they were doing when they put their forms in, some of whom did not actually fill it in correctly. But today we're going to clarify that with a couple of people who know what they're talking about when it comes to administering JobKeeper. I'm joined by two tax agents, my regular Lisa Gregg, uh, who's a tax expert and tax trainer, but also today uh, Joe Sampson, who's also a tax agent. But Joe is a finalist in the uh, Accountants Daily category um of the Public Accountant of the Year this year. So, Joe, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, an absolute pleasure. Um, now, before we get on to JobKeeper, how does it feel to be nominated for this thing? Very surreal. Um, as I, I keep saying, a little old accountant out in the eastern suburbs in the, in the, in the top ten is, is pretty surreal. I can't even believe I'm there, to be honest. So, yeah, amazing. So when uh, when is the final uh, outcome of this? You're a finalist, but when when do you know whether you've uh, uh, pipped the rest of them? The 19th of June, I think, the Friday the 19th of June, they're doing a virtual ballroom because obviously they can't have um, can't have any award ceremonies, physical ones. Um, so they're doing this virtual ballroom and they're expecting you to get dressed up and everything else and should be interesting. <laughs> Oh, okay. So this one's happening via Zoom or Skype. Yeah, or whatever I think it's it going to be some Zoom or they've got some program that they're uh, creating themselves, um, Accountants Daily. So, yeah. This will be pretty interesting. And Lisa, how are you faring this, this afternoon? Oh, absolutely fantastic, Tom. Um, it's uh, a nice freezing cold day in Melbourne town and uh, it's it's Saturday afternoon. So why not talk JobKeeper like we have for nearly every weekend in the for the past two months, right, Joe? Yeah, every weekend, every Absolutely. day, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What we've got uh, to do today is actually clarify what the uh, issues have been at the coalface. We're seeing a lot of politicos and journalists uh, play games up the top end, you know, at, at the top echelons, throwing muck at each other, uh, and the media reporting that there's not quite a complete comprehension of what happens at the coalface when you deal with clients. Let's go back um, to what you both do for a moment. What's the client mix for for you, Joe, in terms of the people you deal with industry-wise? I probably say what I've specialised in small business as in realistic small business. I'm not talking small business like defined by the ATO with millions and millions. Um, I've got a broad range of clients, anything from the building industry to retail to hairdressers to medical practitioners, um, restaurants and sporting uh, organisations. Okay, so you've got you've got a broad spread, spread, but they're largely small to medium sized entities, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I prefer dealing. Lisa, with, what, what? Sorry, my my I prefer dealing with the smaller clients. Okay. I feel that I can be more helpful to them. Okay, uh, that, that's great. They're a diverse group. Uh, it keeps it interesting for you, and also. Um, each one would pose its own problems. We can get to that later. Um, Lisa, what's your client mix 
Yeah, pretty much the same. It's very much on the small end of town, looking after people that are really working in their business as well, Tom. Um, we don't have too many people that just hire a lot of people. Um, I've got clients that are impacted with COVID that are um, in service industries or providing um, fast food and, and takeaway food. And so a lot of those have closed down, um, but just a broad spectrum of, of clients that um, nearly all of them are impacted some way or another. Okay, so generally speaking, there are people who may not, some of them won't have an internal accountant, correct? None of them do. None of them do. Joe, is that the case with yours? Correct, yeah. None of them do. Okay, right. They're completely reliant um, on me, basically. Okay, so you've got, you both of you carried a load for these guys when it comes to accounting compliance, right? Definitely. Yeah, and I think that's mm -hmm. why we're really all over JobKeeper as well, both of us, uh, Tom, because uh, we're the ones that are, that um, have basically done all the work pretty much for our clients with to do with JobKeeper. I know other accountants have basically said, oh, you, know, you can do it yourself because maybe they're bigger and a bit more financially savvy or they've got an internal bookkeeper or something like that. But for, um, for all of ours, you know, we've been the one that's been really holding their hand and helping them through it. Well, I've okay. had, had clients. Let's go back. Sorry, I've had clients tell me that they would never have done it if it wasn't for me. They just wouldn't have been able to do it. Okay, so they would never have done it if it wasn't for you. No. Um, and it's actually quite, that's an interesting comment. So you've got people out there who would never have looked at it if it wasn't for the fact that they took on a professional accountant. Correct. Yeah, definitely. To deal with the issue. Yeah, and, and and one particular client that I'm thinking of that actually told me that I've had it said by a few um, has actually got quite a lot of staff, and it actually has resulted in quite a bit of money for them to come into their business. And they went; they were going to keep paying their okay. staff regardless. So the central point, the central point here is, you guys have been busy helping businesses essentially get it right. Did any of them get anything wrong, uh, Joe? Well, I, I, mean... I actually didn't. I've done every single one of my clients' applications. I haven't had one client that's done it themselves. So I have been the whole process all the way through. I've stepped through every trillion step that's gone along the way that's changed a whole lot. So my clients... I'm very fortunate that I have a very, very good relationship with my clients. So basically when I ask for something, they, you know, did it for me straight away, knowing the pressure that we're all under to get this information through for everybody. So I've done them all myself. So they okay. haven't had those hiccups because I've done it. And it'd be basically my fault, which has been a bit of a stress and a lot of pressure on me, of course, if I got it wrong. Yep. Okay. Lisa, it's pretty much the same with you, isn't it? Yeah, I've got actually, it's quite interesting. I've got, I think I've got two clients that tried to do the step that has caused all the chaos over the past 48 hours. I've had two that did that themselves. Um, but everything, and then I've picked it, picked it up from there. And I think the reason for that is, and um, Joe and I, I think, agree on this, is that we didn't want to jump the gun too much on this process because it's all been laid out fairly piecemeal and linearly, and we've been getting, you know, a new episode every day. Um, some of the things where it hasn't been, like, deadline critical, we've sort of let the dust settle a little bit before we actually applied different um, or submitted different forms at different stages. So the two of my clients that basically jumped the gun, if I can call it that, even though the forms were available, um, they did it themselves. But I just then made sure that what they did was correct. And they actually did do it correct. They didn't make the error that's caused this chaos over the past 48 hours. Okay. Let's go back to when JobKeeper was announced. Um, Joe, when... The Treasurer and the Prime Minister came out in the courtyard and had a bit of a grand reveal, as they say, on MasterChef and other programs like that. Yeah. Um, JobKeeper came out, $130 billion package, rah, rah, rah. What happened in your practice on day one? Uh, my phone didn't stop. Um, naturally people wanting to know if they were eligible. Uh, it, it just was ringing hot um, for various reasons. So to the point where I, especially when I quickly realised how fast it was changing, I 
pretty much put an email out to my clients, which I, I sort of gen, generally don't do like broad emails in that regard, but all the ones that I knew would qualify, I put an email out to them straight away explaining, please don't call me about it. As soon as I know what's happening, I'll advise you immediately and, and give you any information that I have um, because there was just so much um uncertainty there was there were so many holes in it um that just went on for so long the 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 media um were making the what's the word um they weren't telling the truth safely they were you know distorting the 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 facts um so we were just trying to deal with the facts which were coming out all over the place and kept changing uh so i had to basically put my clients on hold and I said to them because they always know that I communicate with them and I have never, ever had an issue. Anyone calling me any time, I've got an open door policy. Um, but I had to put the reins on that one, which was hard, yeah. Okay, you mentioned that there were some issues with media coverage. Uh, I'd like to uh, um, expand on that with you if we can. Uh, can you recall a specific instance where uh, something was reported without the correct nuance that drove your clients mad? Um, well, if I speak for me, I think the one that prompts out the most for me is the confusion over um, business owners being eligible. Um, it was you know, they kept referring to employees, employees, which obviously legislation had to change later to accommodate for business owners. But the confusion around sole traders, they kept saying employees and sole traders. So for my clients who have a lot of discretionary trusts and take distributions, just didn't, you know, we just didn't know the eligibility with regards to that. And there was a lot of, lot of confusion in the media. Um, would you agree with me, Lisa, about that? Oh, absolutely. I think that's yeah. one of the things that kept getting had, – had to get clarified, Joe, with it all. And um, but there wasn't enough information out, so it was very hard for us to actually advise our clients uh, to the correct treatment with JobKeeper because we just hadn't seen anything. All of it was legislation by press release or not even – a written media statement. It's it was just a a, a doorstop interview sometimes by by the politicians in in what they were talking about. Yeah, that's an inter- that's an interesting point uh, because at, at the announcement you both got a lot of phone calls. Uh, Lisa and I did a podcast previously where we covered some aspects of this. Lisa, was there anything you wanted to add to day one? Um, <laughs> uh, was it pretty much the same as what you had with what Joe had? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And I thought it was interesting because it was all announced and then everyone wanted to do something and it appeared to me like the ATO had to do something because the authority was getting delegated to them to dish out this this benefit. So they were becoming um, Services Australia in terms of, of giving this payment out. And so they had to do something. So the first thing they did was put a registration form on a website saying if you want to um, basically register for JobKeeper, go to here. And it was just a URL to put, I think it was your name and an Maybe it was an S- a, a mobile phone number or an email address or something well, like that. It, it, it very... email, yeah, hmm. yeah, it was name. It's just your name and well, a, and mobile, name, wasn't it? Her name, ABN. Yeah. Um, ABN. Was it was it, it was a company? If, it was an ABN. If you're a yeah, it was an ABN. Um, and it didn't matter what entity you were in. Just put your ABN down. A contact person and a name. Uh, and there was so much confusion just around that at day one, wasn't it, Joe? Everyone thought they'd registered, and it was just a just getting on an email list. Yeah. Um, well, I I sent an email out to my clients saying register your interest, even if you don't know whether you're eligible, because nobody knew whether they're eligible or not, because that criteria there wasn't, wasn't enough out. detail, wasn't there, at that yeah, stage, Joe, I, at all? Um, yeah. Looking back, Tom, on reflection, I believe that whole registration process and all these steps has just been, like Lisa said, a time filler. It's 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 been there to to make it look like some activity is happening with it, but really, nothing happened until what five six weeks later when it got released the form. 
and we did the final lodgements. Okay, so we've got a we've got a we've got a thing that happens where people just send their email, contact details. You get an SMS that says, "Thank you for registering. We'll get back to you later." Uh, but what happens at step two? Now, let's define step two for people. What was step two, Lisa? Well, I reckon it was probably really step one, as they're calling it, Tom. So I think putting your name on that email distribution list, the first step, um, I would have said that was step zero or step negative one. Because the first step then was, okay, let's fill in this form. And it's this form that co- that's caused all this chaos. Because we basically had a little bit more information and even though there was a lot of advertisements by this stage, wasn't there, with JobKeeper on the television? Yeah. And, and I noticed that the ads were out even before, I think, the bill passed the upper house, let alone receive royal assent. So we, were still, we still weren't getting too much clarification about it all. And then this form came out to basically say, um, are you eligible? What's your turnover? How many employees are going to... Uh, be are you going to claim for JobKeeper Fortnite one and two because that was the first two and then are you going to claim this business participant jargon which is basically a person that works in the business that isn't an employee and then Salt Traders was a whole nother ball game wasn't it Joe like where does yeah. Salt Traders fit into that and that was very confusing even at that stage. Well, the whole the whole form was broken anyway. The step one form was broken. It didn't work properly, and that just added more confusion to it because when you started to do it it is was um it wouldn't let you put in zero employees and one business participant so it none of it it would just didn't work properly anyway okay can we expand on that joe what were the things that that form didn't do properly for you okay well for me i had um as i mentioned before i've got a lot of um um, discretionary trust so they have no employees mum and dad um, and so I'm putting down I only want to declare one business participant but when I when the first the form first got released well, the first week definitely you could not say zero employees so I thought well they must be counting that as one so I was forced to put a figure in there so I put one on everything because I had no choice otherwise I couldn't lodge the form it turns out um, later on that what that actually did do was say I had one employee and one business participant, so they thought I had two, but I didn't. I only had one. Um, so we, 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 okay, that's important. Yeah. yeah. The, the 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 form the ATO had in place, and this is where Twitter Twitter is not understanding what's going on. People are looking at the question that has been floated around, and they think it's actually understandable when it's not. Because the technology underlying what appears to be a simple question is actually deceptively simple because the IT, the screw-up, actually meant that you could not do what you needed to do to comply with the conditions. Is that correct? Well, yes, but on the same token, I'm, I suppose I was looking at it from a perspective thinking, well, because there's no instructions with the form, there's no little... I button for information or help to see what do they expect in that box. You had to, the form basically said, you know, um, number of employees that you want to pay during April. And it said JobKeeper, you know, fortnight one, fortnight two. Um, you You couldn't put a zero in there because you only wanted to pay a business participant. But because the form was the only message you were getting was you cannot have zero, it just immediately made me think that the ATO are classifying the sole practitioner business participant as an employee for the purposes of this form. And so that's where I believe it's caused probably half these problems and and it was a problem because when I rang up later on, I'm concerned about the forms, I got told by an ATO officer that I'd had two selected. I said, no, I only had one. And I actually went through every single one of my JobKeeper Stage 1 applications and found that every single one of them was incorrect. 
and they got corrected over the phone and that was because of the errors in the form at the time. Okay, how did they correct them? Did they say they when when you spoke to the ATO? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to get a bit, but no, I'm okay. really curious about this. When you when you spoke um, to the ATO, did they treat the issue as a workaround? Um, did no. they treat the issue as one that they could get? I mean, how did they deal with it? Well, I I said to them, I said, look, I'm I don't understand. I just want to check this. I'm, I I can't remember how it came up in conversation with them, but I said, oh, can I just check this form? Because Tom, we can't see any of these forms. Once we've submitted them, we can't look at them again. They're gone forever. So if we don't save it as a okay. PDF or print it, we can't ever look at the form again. The only way is if we call up the ATO and they can see it. But they have never given that transpect transparency or visibility to us as tax agents. So we can't check anything. We can't check JobKeeper payments or anything. So I said to this guy, well, can you check these forms and what's in there? So he went through and told me what is recorded. And I said, well, how can that be? I've got a printout that shows exactly what I've done. And he told me then that the system was adding for everyone that had a business participant it was doing a plus one on the form behind the scenes. Okay. So, so what we have is... Yeah. Okay. So right from the outset, there was a software problem that had became apparent when you were entering details. Um, and it, the assumption in practice was that, you know, it would be taken to be that certain entities that don't have an employee would be counted as having one employee because the ATO form, the very form that they ask people to fill in, was not properly uh, set up. This is remarkable. Tom, I think what we've got to just draw back on a little bit is this is the form that's that everyone's basing their numbers on or the government's basing their numbers on, okay? This is this step one form. And on that form it was... Uh, it was worded along the lines of how many eligible employees do you think you're going to claim for for JobKeeper Fortnights one or two? So it was only an estimate. But if that, that data was getting used to generate the numbers that we were talking about that was going to meet um, the budget allocation for this, if I can call it that, uh, if you didn't fill that form, you tried to fill in the form as accurately as you could. But what was happening at the early stages of that form when it was first released, I think it was first released like 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. This is how we've all been working weekends, that we've got a business participant. So what we're saying is someone who works in the business that doesn't draw a salary, they basically take a distribution from a trust, as Joe said, or they take dividends, right? So they, they're eligible for JobKeeper, one per entity. Then you've got all the employees. So you can imagine if we were trying to put one business participant and zero employees, it wasn't working, then we were going to put in one employee and then they're going to add the business participant. You know, that's doubling the number that potentially could get JobKeeper. And that's how I think these sort of numbers have been propagated. But what's really important to be aware of, this was just an estimate. Step one was just another form that we needed to fill in to satisfy our insatiable appetite to get JobKeeper, if you want to call it that. Because it wasn't until we did the next step, which is what we did last week last week or the week before, anyway, last week, where we actually matched the employees with TFNs and single-touch payroll and all those things, right? So what it is, is the numbers that, that's been spouted over the past 48 hours is just an was just the step one estimate of how many employees do you think you're going to claim and what JobKeeper Fortnite do you think they're going to claim in? Okay, so what we've got, well, so when we get the step one numbers, we can call it that. So we, we'd... <laughs> we were spitballing um, employees, really. We were saying, well, how many? Oh, we better check. Oh, because that's even before we had to had to get them to fill in the form to say, do you want to jump into JobKeeper with me being your employer, right? So we were putting that number in before we actually gave them the form to fill in. So we could have, we might not know or our clients might not know that one employee that they've got's got five other jobs, for example, and they'll claim JobKeeper with another one. 
right? So this is where that number was quite rubbery, I think. Joe, wouldn't you say that number, now that we understand it, that well, now, number was quite rubbery. It wasn't until we do it now. Mm. Well, actually, Lisa, if you remember back when this when this first happened to me, I rang you up saying, oh, my God, all the forms are wrong. You need to ring up and check to see if yours are correct. And Lisa rang up and and said, oh, no, hers are fine. Now, Lisa did hers, mm-hmm. I think you did yours later in the week than me. And we thought that yeah, was the I, only reason there must be a difference. So I rang back the ATO again after Lisa said, no, no, mine are okay. And you, Lisa was told it, it's okay, it doesn't matter because it's what counts is when you do step two, uh, which we mm-hmm. know is step three. And when I rang, so What's I rang three together. Yeah, I rang an ATO officer back again saying, look, this is what I've just been told and this guy's made me go and change all these forms and correct them all over the phone and I've got a reference number for every single one. And the other guy said to me, oh, so it doesn't really matter because we're not using any of the information in the next step anyway. So let me, let me get this straight. Um, we start this process with... Um, a regi- an expression of interest, which we're no longer calling step one, right? That's just add me to your email list to tell me when you're going to have more information. So that was the first thing. Step one was the first iteration of a form which required an estimate of how many people an employer might be putting on JobKeeper. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we go from so we go from this is a sequence, right? We go from um, add me to your email list, Mister ATO, which many people did. Then we go to estimate, and then we go to what our employers had to do to um, well release actually, the payment. Really, Tom was to release the payment is really what we're saying. So how? Out of the, the 10 employ, employees that we put on that form, for example, we're only going to claim four of them because they're the ones that are given back the form and we've done all the processing for. And so it wasn't until we actually matched the tax file number with the employee and that then would trigger the ATO to reimburse us for the money um, or the, reimburse the, the, our clients, the employer, for the money. Um, that's really the real number. Okay, and so I, th- what I think the number we're, we're talking about in the media at the moment is this step one number, which was mm. our best guess estimate at the time. So then, then what we're dealing with is an adjustment or a variance between the best guess estimate and the actual, which is what's the government actually paying money out to now? Mm-hmm. When I actually did my, uh, when we did the, the, the last step to date so far, which is when we were actually doing what Lisa said, matching tax file numbers and et cetera, the information that was being pulled into that form automatically did not match anything that was in my original forms where I said I have three employees, one business participant, none of it matched. Okay, so what we're dealing with at the last step, which is the step that the government slash ATO wanted people to complete in order to get the actual JobKeeper payment, was the one where employees had to fill in a form, correct? Correct, yeah. And then, yeah, and then the employer needed to get their hands on the form and then hand then hand it across to the to the ATO or whatever whatever took place in order to get JobKeeper for the eligible employees. Now, there are people listening to this who are going to say, "Well, what made an employee ineligible? In what circumstances were employees ineligible?" Um, visas. People working on on visas, apart from New Zealanders, no one else was counted in that area. Um, if you were employed at another job and claiming it there, so if you were claiming JobKeeper elsewhere, or if you were claiming if you were employed and you obviously then if you're a business participant you couldn't claim it as both. Um, Lisa, what there's 
um, what were the other ones? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, yeah. Because we, they the have to physically give it. Get, yep. Yeah. Oh, casual. Yeah, the visa was the Sorry, big. casual. And the you casuals. You had to be employed yeah. for 12 months. As a cas- you had to be employed as a, in a casual position for 12 months with regular work. You couldn't just be, you know, oh, six months ago you did some work and then you might come back, you know, one week later. You, it had to be regular casual work. And you also had to be aware of as well, Tom, and this is where a lot of my clients who had totally closed down had the issue, is JobKeeper had to be bankrolled by the employers. So you'd have to bankroll at a minimum two JobKeeper fortnights, so at least $3,000 for employee. You multiply that with a cafe or something that's permanently closed down. Uh, Even though you applied, you might have gone, no, I can't find the $30,000 or the $60,000 because I've got no turnover coming in. So therefore, they've said, well, I'm out. I'm not not even applying for JobKeeper in the first place. Okay. So... Did you get anyone that was in that situation filling in the forms for step one? I I had, and I, had I had a client that pulled out. They said, I'm sorry, I'm not paying my apprentices $1,500 um, when they you normally only get a couple of hundred bucks. I just can't. I can't bankroll that. I can't do it. Mm. So they just didn't enter JobKeeper at all and they stood down their one other employee. Okay, um, that's interesting. I heard a rumour uh, that there were some employees that weren't handing in their forms to employers and that meant that um, employers were unable to uh, claim JobKeeper for all of the, you know, the entire cohort of employees that they have. Um is that common? Abuse? How, how common was it for your client base, if at all? I didn't have any clients in that category because all my clients, all the employees, returned the forms. Um, so they 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 would will be receiving hopefully JobKeeper for each employee that they have kept on. But I do know that there are organisations out there that other practitioners I've spoken to where the forms haven't been returned and therefore they, because it's an all-in or all-out, the employer still has to pay that employee regardless, which I don't think is really very fair. So they're paying okay. the employee, Tom, but they're not getting JobKeeper for them. And they, right. have, and so they have to in, pay in, by law. If they're paying in, one, they have to pay them all. Okay. Now, let's just break this down into an example so people listening understand it. If you've got 10 employees, you're paying those 10 employees um, $1,500 each. Um, A fortnight if they're not working. A fortnight if they're not working. Minimum. So So we've got a... Yeah, minimum. Yep. Minimum. Remembering there are some places that still were working and so they still have to keep paying their employees their full wage. Hmm. Okay, so we've got we've got the sticking with the hypothetical for a okay. moment. Ten employees at fifteen hundred a fortnight, the employer's gotta pay that um, to get the shopkeeper secured. If two of them don't hand their forms in or for whatever reason, the employer can only get the amount for eight of those employees. So basically there's, you know, three grand that they've got to stump up that they might not have to stump up had people put their forms in. Correct. Yep. So this is pretty invidious for small business. I mean, JobKeeper is obviously a good thing, but there are problems with the system in terms of admin. Now, what are the... Uh, challenges that have happened in practice in terms of keeping up to speed with the ATO updates. Um, I referred to them. I referred to them on Twitter as the ATO taking the garbage out on a Friday night um, and tipping it on the desks of practitioners who would have to look through it on, over the weekend. Uh, is that pretty much the experience that you had? <laughs> 
I think that you need to say that the garbage was taken out daily. Um, every day it was changing. It got to the point where I was personally um, downloading every single fact sheet um, because the ATO kindly put dates on it and keeping those on my system so I can compare it and see what's changed the next day. Because um, suddenly, you know, the examples wasn't about Larry and his restaurant, it was about Sally and her hairdressing salon. Oh. Um, so it, it, literally if you blinked, something happened the next day, and if you weren't watching the ATO website, you may have been missing an essential interpretation or a change in rules. Correct. And it, it got to, it got that bad that the act, the ATO actually, I found it by accident, put a timeline on all the changes. Um, I actually ended up having the ATO for some reason picked on me um, to sit with them about the JobKeeper process and I did a, a Zoom meeting with them. They wanted to know that, you know, the problems with the website and I said, well, it's great that you've got this timeline there but the timeline's only when you make a major change. It's not when you've actually changed content within a, um, a form or a fact sheet. So Lisa and I would spend a lot of time um, just looking at them, seeing what's changed, reviewing it, then talking to each other about it and how we think that that now applies. Yeah, it was quite frustrating, wasn't it, Joe? Because yeah. there was no yeah. document control, no dates, no QC numbers, anything that we would expect. And so then we were relying on the timeline of events uh, that is now quite – I actually looked at it this morning when I was speaking to Tom before, um, and that timeline is it's, – there's, what, 20 different basically document and document changes. But where we were finding it frustrating was did the previous fact sheet, for example, was that – still in play or was it totally replaced by the new one because the new one was quite different so we didn't know whether it was additive or a replacement and that wasn't clear either no no that's actually quite um quite disconcerting because as a professional you you guys are members of professional bodies i'm a member of a professional body um, and uh, though the professional bodies have codes of ethics that require people to stay up to date in their area of expertise. Um, this would increase the level of stress for any practitioner, would it not, in an environment where things are moving so rapidly? Oh, without question. Um, the thing is, you've got to remember, I've asked my clients not to ring me if we go back to the start of the conversation because, and I've, I'm telling them, I'll get back to them when I know. I couldn't even get back to them when I know. So I ended up sending another email out saying, sorry, still don't know much. <laughs> um, there was still, there was so much, so many holes in the legislation and it's more so, as I said, with the business participant side, that was that was the the really big one that in the end was causing, I think for me and probably least the biggest headache. Yeah, I think we've got to be aware of how this process happened. We know that we've had to do things very quickly because we needed the stimulus package uh, for COVID-related um, activities to keep things going as much as we could, right? So it was a lot different to other processes of the ATO or Treasury doing consultation processes. This was really flying by the seat of the pants, trying to get things through. Now, as Joe and I know, what we heavily rely on is the legislation. So I was going, fantastic. Once the bill gets introduced into Parliament, we'll have some certainty. So I was telling my clients to go wait wait till whatever day it was where it was, we knew when the bill was going to get introduced and we didn't hadn't seen it beforehand so we just had to grab it at 10 o'clock as soon as we saw it and then we went fantastic now we got some information and we looked at it and went uh, not it wasn't a normal bill Tom that was the problem because yeah. the way the bill was drafted was it was giving so much responsibility to treasury and then that was delegated to the ATO 
we still didn't have any answers for our clients. So that's when we had to contact our clients and say, hang on, we've got to wait for the ATO to have to to basically put together the rules, the instructions for us. And the ATO will not provide any guidance until the bills receive royal assent, right? Once it's gone to the GG and gets signed off. So that happened the next day. And so we were still waiting on more and more content. And then it just kept kept getting recrafted and recrafted. And that's where Joe was saying that I did my form ones a little bit later or step one forms a little bit later, because I'm just going, oh, it's come out really quickly. Let other people road test it a little bit and do a bit of beta testing until I go, okay, what happens now? And then we were relying on our social media networks as well, my Facebook groups, Twitter, and everyone was sharing. One great thing that's come about by this JobKeeper is how collegiate all of us accountants and bookkeepers are in sharing all the information. There was there was one accountant that did a spreadsheet to what, for, for the cash flow boost to show how it all how he thought all the numbers worked, and then he just shared it amongst you know various Facebook groups. So it's good that way, but it's under crisis that you know we've come together. So it's quite discerning discerning maybe yes. that that you know there seems to still be some blame shifting or whatever you know we're all just trying to do the right thing here and do the right thing by our clients right in these really really bizarre times I hate using the word unprecedented I think that's been overused but we're just living in very bizarre times at the moment I should have I should have I should have banned the word unprecedented at the start of this particular I didn't podcast, use it Tom. But... I didn't use it I said bizarre it's just very bizarre so we're doing what we can and we're all helping each other right there's a there's there's and we've just a lot of I've been I've had phone calls from both my member organizations or two out of I'm a member of quite a few. Two of my member organisations, they've actually called up to see, you know, how am, I, how, how am I going? Which was really nice. Just saying, how are you going? We know we're all stressed and we're all working really hard and things like that. So that's that's nice as well. I think, Lisa, you summed it up. Uh, Joe. Lisa summed it up a while ago. She said we had, was it three years to get ready for STP, single touch payroll, and then we had hardly any time to for we have the amount of professional development that, that we've had to put into this job keeper for something that only lasts six months yeah and stp is here forever yeah now the other the the other thing that um uh, we probably need to cover off because we mentioned the fact uh you mentioned the fact earlier uh, joe that you were not able to Go back to forms you'd lodged for a client. No, still can't. Um, in relation to, okay. Typically, tax agents would be able to go into and look at the tax returns they've submitted for a client. Definitely on the portal, correct? Absolutely, yes. Yep. Um, Correspond- so correspondence, the- forms, ISs, everything. Buses, everything. We can pretty much see most things now. Yep. Now, this is given. This is probably a lesson for the government going forward, and that is you need anyone using a tax agent needs to be able to have that agent look at their JobKeeper type applications or whatever else, because without line of sight of what was submitted, you need to rely on the ATO unless you've printed things up. Um, Well, that's right. And as I said, you've only got one chance to print it. And if you didn't print it or something went wrong or the PDF didn't save, that was it. You had no record. But, but who, you had I no mean, record, it, it, no receipt number. You had nothing. Well, with all due respect to our people in, in administration, who was the knucklehead that set up a system where advisors who provide you know, advice on tax and lodge tax returns would not be able to access the forms that they were lodging on behalf of clients with respect to JobKeeper. It is sheer lunacy from an administrative point of view. How the hell do you hold the system together that way? Tom, can I also point out, when it came to the actual declaration that we had to do, there was no print facility. You couldn't print it. 
So you've got this print button that you used in your web browser. So you've got the, you know, the web address, you know, some of the names cut off because it's just printing what it sees on the screen. <sighs> and these are, so, these, I mean, are the declarations, only these are declarations that we had to send to our client to have them sign them because we weren't allowed to submit them without a signature. So we had to send them to our client, of which I said, I'm really sorry about the format. The ATO forgot about the fact that we might actually need to print these to send them to our clients. We then had to go back into the portal and re-enter all the information on the form again once we got the client's signature and then record it because we couldn't save the form. We couldn't save our progress. This is, a, I mean, it is atrocious. This is the sort of thing that gets me angry as someone with 26 years of experience in dealing with the accounting world. You know, it should be, it should be intuitive that um, in an administration dealing with anything that you have um, people uh, who are providing services to clients who need access to the stuff, who need line of vision. Yep. And it... And I'm not sure, um, and I will be sending this podcast, by the way, uh, to various people in politics, because it, it's it's atrocious. I can't believe you guys have had to put up with what you've had to put up with. Um, are there any other, are there any lessons from this particular exercise, um, Joe, that we can learn from going forward other than, other than the fact that advisors need better line of sight and people need to make sure the actual forms function properly? Well, look, I think I can be critical. Um, with all respect, the ATO had to get it out fast. Okay, I fully respect that. Um, we all had to work fast on it. But I've done, I actually have done computer programming and I don't understand how you could not put the print button there and not just have it that you can print it. Tom, can I just read this to you? This is the declaration for April. I have prepared this document in accordance with the information supplied by the entity. I have received a declaration from the entity stating that the information provided me is true and correct. I'm authorised by the entity to give this document to the commissioner. I couldn't print that form, but I'm supposed to have the client sign it. And I couldn't save the form. So that's what I'm talking about. That wasn't good enough as far as I was concerned. That was so the client. Yeah. I'm just staggered. That they're, and they're, they're legally binding documents. Well, that's According why we had to, to get our clients to yeah, sign legally, it. Absolutely. I mean, this is stuff that's legally binding, and if you can't print that up and keep it as a record, what the hell is going on here? Well, it's twofold, Tom, because what we had to do was because you couldn't save the form either, okay, and because we were submitting a form uh, to the commissioner, an authorised form to the commissioner, we had to get written authority from our clients to do it on their behalf. And that's part of our tax agent rules and everything like that. So we had that's to fill fine. out the form and then get them and, and then do a, some sort of print screen twister to get them to sign it. And then we had to go in and then rekey all the data again um, before we submitted it as well. Right, so we had to then triple check that what we sent them to sign was exactly what we submitted as well. So that's the 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 double entry that we had to do. No accounting pun intended, but that's 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 the repeat work that we had to do to get all this through for our clients. And then if, okay, if how many sorry, how many clients how many clients did you have to double up for? Every what do you mean double up? That's that's everyone. We had if if we. Everyone, we had to put it in. We had to put it in twice. We had to put the data in twice. And bearing in mind, Tom, that some employees, some employers had a lot of employees, so you're having to type all their tax file numbers and put them all in again. If they're not on single-touch payroll. If they yeah. were on single-touch payroll at pre-populated, providing the single-touch payroll software was enabled with JobKeeper, correct, Joe? Yes. However, that yeah. itself posed a problem, which I'm sure you were waiting for, um, in uh, that if they were single-touch payroll, um, it would come through and say you have 10 eligible employees, I'm making up figures, but you didn't know who those 10 were. So how did they know whether those 10 were eligible and how do I know if they were the right 10 people? So we had no way of even seeing who those eligible people were. So all the declarations that you had from the employees I couldn't go there and say, yep, 
that's right, got that one, got that one, couldn't do it because I just got this, you've got 10 employees that you're claiming. I didn't even have a choice. Yeah, so okay. if so, if you run your payroll through software that was JobKeeper enabled, Sunfield Touch Payroll, when you did this step two and three combined to actually release the money, all we would see was how many employees we're claiming, for, our clients claiming for, or the employers claiming for. So as Joe said, like ten, we didn't know whether they were the right ten or not. We didn't know whether there was someone that, like, let's be realistic, not everyone's honest, unfortunately. You don't know that you haven't suddenly got some payroll officer that's decided to put their own details in one of those forms or something and they're suddenly getting the JobKeeper. You've got no idea. So we had no way of clarifying that, but we have to sign this declaration. The only way that you would have to put tax file numbers and employees in, you could do it through a spreadsheet, couldn't you, Joe, an Excel spreadsheet, if you if weren't you on single-touch payroll. Yeah, if you had yeah. over a certain amount of employees. Mm. So the only way we could be certain, the only way we could be certain at stages two and three, actually, so this is the stage where the, the government releases the money to the employer. The only way we could be certain that the number, the, the correct employees were nominated was if they weren't on single touch payroll because we would have to put their tax file numbers in so we would see a line of sight over it. Otherwise, what we would have got was, as Joe said, 10 employees are getting claimed and we didn't know what garden variety was the 10. We just know that payroll says we've done 10, this is 10, so we, we just basically had to be, be assured that it was correct because we couldn't double check those employees that were claiming it. And Joe's right, you know, if it's, it's one of those things that could have been fraudulent if someone had then put all their own bank accounts, you know, into, into, into the various things. We did have to sign a declaration saying this had to be, what does it have to be the employer's bank account, didn't it, Joe? It couldn't be any accountant's trust accounts because some, some, I know Joe and I don't right. use them, but um, yeah. some, some accountants use trust accounts. So they did, there was a few declarations like that that we did have to, had to, um, Agree yes. with. Mm. <laughs> okay, it's probably a good one on which to sort of wrap the podcast up. We've uh, we, we've hit an all-time record with this particular one, but <laughs> it needed to go this long with uh, with the necessary detail. There's been a few challenges with JobKeeper, uh, and we've certainly covered a lot of them in the past uh, fifty minutes or so. Uh, Joe Sampson, the uh, is the one of the finalists for the Public Accountant of the Year with the Accountants Day of the Annual Accountancy Awards. Uh, Lisa Gregg is a regular tax expert, tax trainer, um, and also uh, has been dealing intensely with JobKeeper. Thanks for joining me, both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Tom. Good, good, luck, for, good luck for the awards, Joe. Thanks. Thanks very much. And good luck for the next, uh, what, five months of JobKeeper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, and to the listeners, stay safe, look after each other, and we'll certainly be back with another podcast in the next little while.